ABC Sunday Night Movie. Got a breaker one nine. This here's a rubber duck. Chris Christopherson, Ali McGraw, and Ernest Borgnine. Mercy sakes alive, looks like we've got us a convoy. Convoy. And I'm about to put the hammer down. And nothing's gonna get in their way. Hey, come up for air now. Figured ten years with a little time off of good behavior. Convoy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode 4 of 70 movies we saw in the 70s. Convoy is the subject. Mike McPadden is co-host in Chicago, author of Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies. Joining me in Madison, Wisconsin is... Mr. Ben Reiser uh, of the University of Wisconsin-Madison... Uh, department of uh, UW Cinematheque and the Wisconsin Film Festival. I produce and occasionally appear on a podcast we put out called Cinema Talk, and I am I am the engineer of choice for another fantastic podcast you may or may not have heard called Crackpot Cinema, starring Mike McPadden and Aaron Lee. Thank you, the savior of that program. Thank you. No, 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 nothing of the sort. But so Ben, we're going to talk about a movie I saw in the seventies. Yeah. Convoy. Sam Peckinpah's Convoy. And uh, you only saw it in the uh, 2020s, and you saw it twice. Well... I've seen it twice, but it was like 40 years apart, 40 plus years apart. I, you know, I I actually, I I watched it a couple weeks ago just because I bumped into it on Amazon Prime, and then I mentioned it. I was sort of overwhelmed by it, and... (laughs) I won't say how, but uh, but I I mentioned it to you, and I mentioned it to Jim Healy, and um, Jim had some interesting things to say about it. But but you were like, oh, let's do that. We should do that for. for yeah, I movies. mentioned it because it was uh, the first movie I ever saw on HBO or any pay service. Which you know that one of the tragedies of our lives was that cable did not come to Brooklyn until 1986. And we didn't get it in Bay Ridge until '87, right? So did how you did you? Did so you how did you? So what, no, I no, I never had cable living in Brooklyn. Oh no, 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 that's not true. I had cable living in Brooklyn after I came back from college and got my own apartment. Yeah, on but your own, my right. parents did not have cable in the house I grew up in, the Boardwalk House, um, <laughs> until right. I don't know, sometime in the two thousands. I think I don't. I don't have. Wow! Any, yeah. Wow! Wow! But wait a minute. So. What yeah. it, what you're saying? Go backwards and tell me how you saw this movie. So how I saw it was uh, I had family in New Jersey ah. and I had family in upstate New okay, York, okay. where cable was prevalent in both places, like since like the the early seventies. You know and this. You know who did have cable? I'm sorry, I'm just going to interrupt you. This is one time. <laughs> you know who did have cable in the. I don't know if he had it in the seventies, but he had it in the eighties, and he, he he did have it. Uh, there was cable. I don't know. There wasn't full scale cable, but there was HBO in the Philip yes. Howard apartment building on Flatbush Avenue, oh. where Chad, where my friends Chad Polari, uh, uh, uh lived, Matthew Shepko, Yoon Pak. Those three guys all had 
HBO. And so um, in the 80s, that's where I got to see uh, like Albert Brooks's Modern Romance and um, right. a whole bunch of other movies that would, would be watched at Chad's apartment on HBO. Okay. HBO and WHT, Wometco Home Theater, were available. HBO seemed scattershot available. My, my father was not, as I was told often, he was not paying the $15 a month, not with my report card. No, so, and, and right, WHT was, was, was broadcast, but it was scrambled. Yeah, it was, you put you, an you, antenna on your oh, yeah, you needed an, channel 68. Did you, need, you needed like a, de- a de-scrambler or something that you'd purchase, yes. right? Or that you'd rent from them. You put it. They put an antenna on your roof, and you had a, a box right. that would descramble. So, but much like my a little bit earlier um, episodes where I would record the audio for TV shows that were on too late, yeah. I would also tune to WHT U sixty eight and listen to the soundtrack, and sometimes try to figure out the images because you'd get yeah. this scrambled image, but you could hear it, and I'd be like, "Oh, you know, this is almost as good." Well, as there was usually a movie. guy talking the whole time. There was like a DJ saying, oh, this month we got PK and the kid with Paul Lamatt. You might remember him from... That was on a lot. But then later, when I had a little black and white TV in my room, I could get a decent unscrambled WHT uh, with a little bit of sound, up to and including the Friday Night Nightcap Adult Films and the Leonard Report with Gloria Leonard, which was the porno talk show. Yeah. See, I don't remember the DJ telling you what you could what you could expect to see. I think I had some way of, of, of receiving the scrambled signal, which was you could hear the audio from the movies. Uh, this is my right. memory of it anyway, and, you just, and everything else would be sort of like wavy. wavy that would have been good enough, yeah. man, because my dream was, you know, there was the Route 35 driving near my grandmother's in New Jersey, and I was like, if I lived near there, I would just listen to that radio station every night. Yeah. yeah. But... Um, so, yeah, we had nothing like that. So I went to my uh, Aunt Patty and Uncle Tommy's house upstate New York. Uh, and they were in a small town near Middletown. So it's about two hours north of the city. My grandmother lived in Bloomingburg nearby. And you really, you know, there are all these quaint little like college places and, and places like Kingston. and mm-hmm. uh, But then you have, uh, it's just, you may as well be in Alabama. Like once you get. Above Westchester, yeah, <laughs> in large part, <laughs> yeah, because this was farm country, yeah. and it was all shit kicker culture up there. Sure. And uh, my aunt, my grandmother moved up there. Her husband was her second husband. My original paternal grandfather died before I was born, but he was a welder, and he worked on farm equipment all the time. And then uh, my uncle Tommy was a detective, a New York State detective who did deep cover in the mafia in the 70s wow. in upstate New York. So he had cable. Uncle Tommy had cable. And Uncle Tommy let me and my cousin John Snow. Yes, my cousin named John Snow. Wow. Uh, yes, yes. And, yeah, he uh, he met the real John Snow at the boxing gym that he runs with his brother Martin Snow. Anyway, digression. We got to keep on point well, here. We need a whole episode uh, we, about that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> me and John and Uncle Tommy near Patty watched Convoy. On like a Saturday afternoon in 1979, and we were so thrilled. We loved it so much. We watched a bunch of it again later after dinner when they re-showed it. Because that was like when HBO only had like five movies a month, I think. So that would have been what? What year do you think? 79. Oh. It was definitely so 79. It was, like t- it was a, a year, year after it had been in theaters, theaters. yeah. Hmm. It was probably that summer, because that's when I would go to these pastoral places. 
Well, let me ask you uh, another question about a movie that maybe we should do another episode about, and a movie that I certainly had seen, um, I don't know, multiple times in a theater. And, and it was, and for some reason, I only put it together this week that, oh, yeah, this was 1977. This movie actually just came out two weeks before Star Wars. And I, and I feel like for at least the first two, three months uh, after it got released was a much bigger movie to me than Star Wars. I didn't actually end up seeing Star Wars until the middle of the summer of 77. My family took a cross-country road trip in a van. We can get into that sometime, too. And I, I wound up seeing Star Wars in Chicago, of all places. Uh, How about yeah. that? But the movie that I saw, I'm sure, as soon as it came out, and then probably two or three times over the next couple months, was um, Smokey and the Bandit. Which I never saw in the theater. I only saw that on You television. and I, it's good that we're doing this show together, because for two kids who grew up in Brooklyn, <laughs> a stone's throw from each other, we had such remarkably different uh, childhoods <laughs> in most ways, but certainly in our in our... In our movie-going experiences, yeah. it's 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 crazy. Yeah. How did you not see Smokey and the Bandit in 1977? I, you know, I don't, I can't explain it um, because I also didn't see Star Wars until September. Yeah, when I freaked out about having to go back to school without having. Sure, seen I it. felt the same way because a bunch of kids in my class, and I think it was sixth grade. I think I, I'm pretty sure I was still in um, elementary school in, in the in the spring right. of 77. Um, had seen it, seen it at the Astor Play. Like I remember, kids seeing it opening weekend. I I hadn't even heard of it, but these kids would walk into class and they'd have the programs that they bought. You know, it was like a you'd get like a right. freaking folio, like you'd gone to Ringling Brothers Circus yeah. or something. And they had this thing, and I was like, "What the hell?" And I really felt like, "Man, I'm out of it." And and still, for some, I I don't know why. I don't know sure if it didn't go into wide release right away that it was exclusively. At the Astor Plaza, when it it was, um, as I understand it, it was, uh, yeah, it was in a it, not a wide release, and after the opening week or two, they had to just knock other movies off the screen to put to book it in there. I think maybe like Cross of Iron, which I watched for this week's episode. Wow, <laughs> well, the one that always that comes up is uh, Ralph Bakshi's Wizards. Oh, sure, which had been like kicking ass, right. And then, um, but then also, didn't had, you and Aaron? That for Star you Wars. and Aaron talked about. I think was it the other side of midnight that was supposed to. Oh, be? that was the other one that got fucked yeah. by Star Wars. That's right. Yes, yeah, everything the other got side fucked of by Star Wars, except for was Smokey that the and the one Bandit. We watched or no, right. you didn't watch remember. it, but you talked about it. Yes. I listened to yeah. your podcast. God damn it. That's right. That's right. We want to do that next time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I only saw Smokey and the. Ba- you know, I don't know. I, I, I have no explanation. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. Because yes. I have my own answer about this. Um, yeah. How enmeshed, if at all, were you as a kid growing up in Brooklyn, two years younger than me, in CB culture? Well, this is, this is I really think, setting the table for this. And I, I would say casually, as it was just one of many pop culture fads of the moment. And uh, it was certainly huge. And I'd like imagine like what my CB handle would be and uh-huh. think about that. And I, I don't think I ever came up with one. But uh, the whole like country thing, you know, like, it really was big in New York. And it especially got weird when like Southern Rock got huge among the dirtbags. Right. Well, but I was thinking like, you know, I just listened obsess anything that was on WABC or WNBC I listened yeah. to. Well, it's interesting. You know, people, I feel like they there's no reason to believe that country is big in New York, but if you watch 
a movie that we should talk about that you've already talked about, but that's fine. They all laughed, uh, which yeah. has country music as a component. Yeah. And then, of course, that insane Sylvester Stallone, Dolly Parton movie, which posits a world yeah. in which people go to New York to become a sort of famous country <laughs> music stars, like it's Nashville, <laughs> East Coast Nashville or something. Right. Um, but it was po- very popular. 1050 WHN yeah. was a hugely popular AM radio station. Well, I was, I wouldn't say I was completely enmeshed in CB radio culture, but, but I, I do know that my, that our, our friend Alan Broadman, uh, who had two older brothers, had a CB radio, had a home rig, wow. and, and it was in his bedroom. And we used to go over there and have sleepovers, and we would fuck around with that CB radio for hours. And we'd try to, like, touch base with actual truckers who were using it and pretend that we were truckers right. and get into all kinds of trouble. We were always, like, lying to people about who we were and where we were. And then we were always afraid <laughs> that they were going to somehow track us down, that they could, like, figure out where we were based on our CB signal, which maybe they could. I don't have any idea. But I remember that we would... Did you have a handle? Uh, you know, I'm sure it would have been Alan who had the handle. I don't remember what the hell it was. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to ask him when we have him on the show. But do you remember, you remember, of course, Wonderama on Sunday yes. mornings with Bob oh, yeah. McCall's. That got... He became a complete CB fanatic. Did he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was at the era when he had the disco kid. The show went all disco and CB. Oh wow! Probably like right in '77 when we're talking about. And uh, his handle was Whoop a Diddy. Whoop a Diddy. <laughs> Whoop a Diddy. Here's, here's what I. I mean, I was a complete Wonderama obsessive. I loved Wonderama, but the, honestly, yeah, the only thing that I remember these days about Wonderama was the time that he had some of the cast of Bad News Bears. On the show, wow! And he sort of reprimanded them about the the language in the film. Like, was very upset wow. about the yeah about, about the swear words, and was not. I remember he had he had uh, like John Cleese, Eric Idle, and Michael Palin on once, and they showed a couple of extremely disturbing uh, Terry Gilliam cartoons. Like way inappropriate. <laughs> they showed some bits. They showed like the handicap Olympics, which. In the seventies, children were allowed right. to laugh at and everything, but then like the cartoons were completely freaky. Huh. So, Wonder Ram. It was a three-hour show on Sunday mornings from nine to noon, hosted by Bob McAllister. Had quite a quite a mop of hair on him. Right. So, uh, so all I'm saying is, for me, um, having been a big Smokey and the Bandit fan. Another film that I rewatched this week. I gotta tell you, I, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you all the movies I watched this week in prepping Please. for today's podcast. So I took a deep dive into late period uh, Peck and Paw. Uh, I watched The Killer Elite. I watched Cross of Iron. I watched Convoy for a second time, and I watched The Osterman Weekend. And and I also watched The Getaway, but more because that was I also after I got through with Peck and Paw, I'm like I need to see what. Ali McGraw was up to right before this movie. I need to see what Chris Christopherson was up to right before this movie. But be, so I also watched The Getaway. Um, but I want to say, The Getaway aside, the way to appreciate these Peck and Paul movies is to watch the one that came after the one you just watched because they're all successively worse. So if you want to appreciate <laughs> The Killer Elite, watch Cross of Iron. And if right. you want to appreciate Cross of Iron, go for Convoy. And honestly, the only way I was able to find any pleasure in convoy was to watch the osterman weekend which was his last movie and unfortunately there's nothing to sort of there's no way to enjoy the osterman weekend 
<laughs> I've never even tried. Uh, you should make a point of watching Jinxed. That he shot second. Oh, yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he then he directed those Julian Lennon videos. That's right. Yeah, uh, Valat and uh, much too late. Much for too goodbye. late for I, goodbye. I love that song, Valat. Yeah, I'll still get very excited if that comes up in my Spotify. Mix. Yeah, it's a good one. But um, oh, so yeah, then, so, so I, I also watched. Say, hang on, I also watched Smoking first. the Bandit, and then here's the one that I watched, which I think maybe is the most important one for for context, because for me this was all about. I need to understand the context of this nightmarish thing that I watched. Um, and this was a movie that I did see in the 70s that I think we should do an episode on, so I'm just going to touch on it briefly. Michael Ritchie's Semi-Tough. Just saw it recently. Which was made in 1977, same year as Smokey and the Bandit, but it stars Chris Christopherson and Burt Reynolds. Yeah. And so it's amazing. So it's got the stars of Smokey and the Bandit and Convoy, uh, but they both come together. Anyway. It's I'll, the Venn, di- it's, yeah, it's the Venn diagram of yeah. this episode. Okay. I'm All way right. into that. Uh, All right. I just saw that. Yeah. I had never seen it except out of order on television and just mm. sat down with the beautiful Kino Lorber Blu-ray and watched it. Well, it's one of those films that I saw in 1970. That came out in 77, right? I think it was 78. Okay, 78. I was much too young for it, although, but I was already a Michael Ritchie fan having... Um, seen Bad News Bears, which is one of the greatest things of all time, as we've already talked about. Yeah. But also Smile. I was a huge fan of Smile, having seen that on TV a few times and thinking, wow, this is the ultimate. But it was I don't think I ever really understood <laughs> Semi-Tough until watching it uh, yesterday. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, this is like this whole love triangle thing. I think the whole thing... With Burt Reynolds and and Chris Christopherson, both after Jill Clayburgh, completely was lost on me the two or three times I saw it. I would imagine, like, yeah. you know, the Est stuff. But yeah, we have to do an too. episode on that. Yeah. Because, you know, right. I did Est. Oh, did you? Like 20 years ago, yeah. But So we'll do an episode on that. We can talk about that. All right. All right. Okay. So... So back, so you watched, so you loved Convoy on loved HBO. It. Because, I mean, it was, I, I heard, like, you know, shit and son of a bitch and... Sure. Kind of saw a little booby in the one part <laughs> right. with the waitress. And now I don't know if this would affect, have affected me. And I don't know why I didn't see Convoy. I just think, I mean, Convoy, the song was certainly a song that I knew. Yeah. Didn't despise. You know, it was just another one of these seemingly endless succession of these story songs. Right. Which, along with my melancholy pop songs, were all that I ever listened to on AM radio growing up in the 70s. I mean, there are so many of these goddamn things. But I don't think I ever... Do you remember ever trying to... Did you know the song before you saw the movie? Very well, yeah. No, well. Because, yeah, roll them truckers through. Yeah, 10-4. But did you ever try to actually decipher the lyrics? I don't even think I understood that. I guess I knew it was a story song, although I didn't know that Yeah, no, I I did. I I asked... uh, my older cousin Martin to explain it. He said, "This is a stupid song. This is what happens in it," <laughs> and that's what he, <laughs> he was right. Uh, like the convoy, but the, so, but the one that I, we were obsessed with, and even would crack up laughing over, even like as an eight-year-old, was "Teddy Bear" by Red Sovon. You ever hear that one? Oh yeah, with the sick kid, the he's crippled. He's like, "Yes, my dad, he died." I sure would like a ride. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. There's that strain of story songs that are sort of the yeah. country western ones. And right. and as far as I can figure out, country is still the only genre where these story songs are still thriving. I don't yeah, know if they're thriving, but they still happen. 
They like, exist I can't in think a pop of, context. Yeah, I can't yeah. think of the last story song that made it to top 40. Uh, no. But in the 70s, you had endless ones. Here's a list on, um, on YouTube. Uh, Please Come to Boston by Loggins of, or by Dave Loggins? What the fuck is that? I don't even know. That's his brother. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Guitar Man by Bread. Lonely. I didn't even know that was a song. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. Lonely Boy by Andrew Gold. Uh, Wild, That's a great Wildfire. One. Great song. The Horse, Michael Murphy. Michael yeah, Martin Michael Murphy. Martin Murphy. Yeah. Cats in the Cradle. One of the best. American Pie, which now that's a song I remember all my friends and even my parents would always try to decipher. Like even my parents were into American Pie and they were like, oh, this is about Bob Dylan, this part of it. <laughs> my first assignment as a uh, freshman in high school in English class was to interpret American Pie in 1982. <laughs> so it was like 10 years after the song had been around wow. at that point. How'd you do with it? <laughs> oh, I kicked ass. Good. I still have like 2001 theories on on the whole thing. That's yeah. great. So, um, uh, me and you and a dog named Boo. Right. Arlo Guthrie's "City of New, or- New Orleans." What's that song about? That's about a train. I don't even. It's about a hobo riding a train. Yeah. Oh, whatever. <laughs> uh, the night they drove old Dixie down. What's sure. that song about? It was the Civil War, okay. I would imagine, but I don't know. The night Chicago died. A bunch of Canadians. We well, that's, and then we were talking before the podcast. And the night Chicago died is about an incident uh, in the city where I live now where a man named Al Capone, he wanted to call that town his own, so he called his gangs to war against the forces of the law. So I pictured in my head this complete like uh, combat, like tanks in the street, planes, and I accepted this as fact. Until I, and that song came out, and like I was like a little kid, six maybe. And when I was 12, in seventh grade, we were studying New York State history and got to organize crime and, uh, and prohibition. So, and like the teacher's like moving on. It's like, hey, hey, whoa, what about the night Chicago died? <laughs> yeah. I wanted to what know the it? details. I mean, he said 100 cops were dead. Um, and she just, uh, Miss Luca, God bless her, gently. Had a chuckle and said, I think they just made that up for the song. <laughs> okay. How about um, Ode to Billy Joe? Now. Fact, fact or fiction? <laughs> okay. So I have an, a, an epic story about that because I also think we should note the ones that were made into movies. Yeah. And this was one of them. So have I ever told you this? Have you heard me explain this story? I Did I see? I'm, I I. Did I, did I wrote I see about you talk it about this at a, yeah. in a bookstore once? Maybe I, I, maybe I, I did. Yeah, I, I, so I don't know. I shall cut. I shall condense. Well, no, no, no. That's fine. I'm, so I, obviously, uh, I don't remember it. So right, but it so Ode to Billy Joe. I did not see in the theater. Um, it was aired on. Now I did research on this. So it was a 1975 movie. It was a huge hit. Played drive-ins for years. Didn't make it to NBC until 1980. So I was 12. The Sunday night movie. So the the song, which is really like a masterpiece, is this haunting gothic mystery. We don't know why this kid jumped off the bridge, and it doesn't answer the question. The movie gives you a very concrete answer. Do you remember what the answer is? Do you ever see the movie? Is there some sort of... Um, um is there, is there like a, a, um, a rape, a, an anal rape or something like well, that? Well, this is... <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> well, Billy Joe is attracted to men in Depression-era, you know. But again, not in the song, right? 
No, there's nothing. The whole song is about not knowing why he jumped off the bridge. Right. There's a hint that he and his girlfriend threw something off the bridge. So you think maybe they had a baby or, you know, but right. there's no evidence of this. And then Max Baer Jr., who's Jethro Bodine, who directed mm-hmm. the movie, said he came up with this idea. He was like, I think Billy Joe is gay. <laughs> so pitched it to Bobby Gentry. She said, fine, just write me a check. And then the thing was like a blockbuster. Um, so I'm watching the movie, and there's a part where Billy Joe, the carnival, comes to town. Billy Joe gets drunk. You know, he's like 15. And uh, he steps behind a tent with the owner of the local sawmill. And in my head, well, I mean, the, the punchline is, I, my, in my head existed for years a scene that didn't happen. I saw Billy Joe get bent over a log and just reamed from behind. And I was like, holy shit, they're showing this on NBC? And, like, the guy was thrusting away, and it was this insane sex scene. So years later, and I always, you know. And, of course, point, they did that in Deliverance. I think they did probably right. show some oh, or yes, all that yeah. scene. Right. But uh, so I pictured something like that with young Robbie Benson right. tenderly pleading for his life. <laughs> right. But also, you know, getting used to that as a man. Right. Um, so for years, I had that carried this around. I thought, wow, it's kind of so crazy and weird that that's in that movie. So then the movie was hard to find on video. And then it was on YouTube one day. The shitty transfer. So I said, oh, Rach, we got to watch this. You got to see this scene where, you know. We watched the whole thing, no scene. I was like, they cut it out, they cut it out. So as soon I track down like an out-of-print DVD, I throw it on, no scene. I go online, I was like, what's up with Ode to Billy Joe? It turns out I had completely written that scene in my head. It never existed. I can still picture it. I can still replay it anytime I want. Well, it's interesting. Was there anybody, did you discover anybody else online who had a similar false memory of it? Because I see that happen all the time. Another guy said he did and that, uh, like, Roscoe P. Coltrane was from the Dukes of Hazard was there also. Yeah. Awesome. That's a fantastic so, story. There we have it. <laughs> uh, uh, Brandy, you're a fine girl. Oh, yes. Uh, Billy, don't be a hero. Civil War song, another one. Band yeah. on the Run. Abstract. Yeah. yeah. And The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. Uh, which made it to a movie as well. Right. 1981 with uh, Christy McNichol and Mark Hamill. Yeah. I'm sure that's tip of the iceberg, but that's the 19 that are on this one YouTube. Shannon list. is one that you oh, forgot. Yeah, well, by Henry Gross. Oh, you know, yeah. he lived, he lived on, he grew up on East 28th Street between avenues M and N. Fantastic. And his parents were uh, neighbors of my friend Paul, and they had his gold record in their living room. Wow. That's awesome. Um, you know, but I, um, but it was these, you know, there's a very thin line between story song and novelty song. I mean, I don't even right. know if there is a line between them. But, I, you know, one of, the, one, of the, one of the songs I was most excited to hear as a kid growing up on AM radio in the 70s was um, Monster Mash. Which I sure. think is also yeah. a story song, and once a year, yeah, right, sure, and uh, all those all those Doctor Demento songs, uh, yeah. Okay, so but I but for some reason, even and maybe because I was already in the Smoking the Bandit camp, and even though I was you know doing CB radio antics with Alan Broadman, I. I, th- I feel two things about Convoy. One, I don't think I had any interest in it. I think even then the idea of a movie being based on a song like that just seems stupid, especially a movie based on that song. 
Not that I had anything against the song particularly. It's like, I, well, who cares about this? But the other thing, I think the marketing of it and the whole, I just, it seemed, it seemed, I didn't know about Sam Peckinpah at the time. Like, he didn't mean anything to me. But it seemed really like, I mean, it, it's, you know, um, something that Jim. It seemed ugly. Yeah, ugly. Me. Something that Jim Healy yeah. said, he said, that's a movie that was directed by a bag of cocaine. Um, but the, even the marketing, even the posters sort of reeked of like Studio 54 and cocaine and then yeah. like ugliness. Ugly. Yeah. yeah. Like nasty, yeah. aggressive sort of. And, and, and I was shocked when I watched it for the first time that it wasn't rated R and that the concept hadn't been for Sam Peckinpah to come in and do like this violent, bloody, R-rated, sexy version of Smoking the Bandit. That the concept seems to have been for him to just do his own mainstream PG rated entertainment. Right. Looking for a hit. Looking yeah. for a hit. Looking for a hit. And getting so, a hit. Let me <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ a huge yeah. hit. Did you see the money it made? Yeah. Can't believe it. Five million dollar budget, forty five million dollar gross, and I remember it playing for months. Hmm. Like at some point, because it came out in June June twenty eighth, seventy eight, and I remember playing after I had returned to Brooklyn to go back to school. So, uh, my my sense of it is that it's one of those movies that I don't. I think I would have had a hard time convincing my parents that it was okay for me to see, even though it was rated PG. I think I just. Yeah. Knew, I I think just from the advertising alone, I thought like I don't even want. I don't want to see this movie, and it's it's not worth it yeah. having the conversation <laughs> to get me to this movie. I had the same reaction. Oh, here it is. So it, it was budgeted six million, came in at twelve million, and late. Then gross forty five, which in twenty twenty is one hundred and seventy seven million dollars. Yeah, um, you know, I, I had the same reaction. Nineteen seventy eight, I was eager to see any movie. I would not have chosen to see Convoy unless you know, unless somebody asked if I wanted to go. See, you know, will you come see this with me? But right, uh, and that was like a big. And I don't even really sort of remember it that much from that summer. That summer, I've I've mentioned before, I was uh, nine turning ten. Hanging out on the Jersey Shore with kids who were 12 and 13. And, like, I, I was changed by that summer. And uh, I, I became, like, a degenerate from hanging out with older kids. So uh, we were not going to see Convoy. I was obsessed with Animal House and just trying to find out everything that went on in Animal House. I'm, I was able to, I, you know, I saw, I looked up Vincent Canby's review of this in the New York Times. Um, oh, yeah. And that's something I actually wanted to talk about on today's show because what I what I realized was that uh, Pauline Kale was a big Sam Peckinpah fan booster, right? Um, and growing up in the seventies in New York, as we like to say on this show, uh, the two people who were my go-to film critics were Pauline Kale um, and Vincent Camby. My parents uh, subscribed to the New York Times. We got it every day. Right. And then they also subscribed to the New Yorker. And um, from, the, from, as, from as early as I can remember looking at either one of those publications, all I was ever interested in and all I ever looked at were the film reviews and the film ads. And in the New Yorker, there was always this section in the front where they – did little capsule reviews of a whole bunch of movies that were showing right. either at revival houses or first run. And then there was like the film review of the day or of the week. A couple of films maybe got reviewed every week in the New Yorker and it was either Pauline Kale or I can't remember who else they had. 
I can't think of yeah and her it, name. It was another woman, I think. Right, maybe yeah, and uh, oh, Penelope Gallant, Gilliant or something like that. That sounds right. Yeah. And then there was, and then in the New York Times, it was Vincent Camby and Janet Maslin. Um, right. And here's what I w- was wondering about you: uh, Did you guys get any daily papers at your house? We got the Daily News, so I would read Rex Reed. Uh, but we got Time Magazine, so we had Richard Corliss and Richard Schickel. Hmm. We got New York, so I had David Denby, who I really got into as a kid. And then Q Magazine, before New York bought it, right. which had William Wolfe. Right. Uh, my grandparents ha- got New York Magazine, so every once in a while I'd get to their apartment and flip through New York and read the David Denby reviews. But he wasn't a regular of mine. And That's funny. I had the exact opposite. My grandparents got the New Yorker, so I would see the Pauline Kael reviews there. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because my, you know, my sense of the Daily News and the New York Post, uh, based on my parents' opinion of them, was that they were complete garbage. And so I would never, no. I never read Rex Reed. I never read any of those critics. And it wasn't until I was in maybe junior high or high school that I got assigned to read the Jimmy Breslin novel. What the hell was it? Hush Money? The gang they couldn't shoot straight? No. Maybe it wasn't a novel even. Uh, I read some Jimmy Breslin book and loved it. I was like, oh, god damn. How come I haven't been reading Jimmy Breslin all these years? Yeah, that's the thing. I was reading Jimmy Breslin and Pete Hamill all the time. Yeah, you're a lucky bastard. Uh, <laughs> selected works. Table Money. Oh yeah, yeah. Another. It was a mob novel too. Right. Yeah. yeah, loved it. Uh, so anyway, I'm sorry. So right. oh, here it is. Okay, here's what was playing in New York the day that um, um, uh, Convoy opened. You ready? I'm lay it on me. So Convoy was reviewed at least on Wednesday, June 28, 1978. So here's what's advertised in the Times that day: House Calls with Walter Matthau and Glenda Jackson. Saw, saw that in the theater. Didn't totally stand it. Totally saw that in the theater. Yeah. Still, I don't remember anything about. It. I probably saw it twice. Don't right. remember. <laughs> um, Heaven Can Wait, which also opened the same day as Convoy. Actually, how about that? Saw it and loved it. Loved it. Yep. Star Wars, of course, is still in theaters. Right. Saturday Night Fever. Saw the PG version in the theater that summer. Oh, no, the following. It was 79. Me too. I wasn't yeah. allowed to see the R-rated, but right. then saw the Same PG. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Is that is that PG version available anywhere? Have they I, think that I think it is. I think somebody put it like on a D, as a DVD extra or something. Yeah. Okay. Here's some, now, something is playing. I don't know this movie. Servant and Mistress. Do you know that one? Uh, no, but... It sounds like something I would have been interested in. <laughs> it's from New Line, and the review that's quoted in the thing says, a spellbinding, shattering experience has just moved to the East Side Cinema. Wow. Servant and Mistress. Uh, okay. Finish or something. At the Guild 50th, where I saw Benji, was Academy Award winner Goodbye Girl, which is a movie we should probably do. So we have to do that. Saw it on TV. <laughs> loved it. Yeah. Um, Sylvester Stallone in Fist. Never saw it. Never saw it. Me either. Uh, can't believe you haven't caught up with that over the years. True. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Saw it three times in the theater. Something called Bonjour Amour. I don't know it. I don't know. 
something at the Baronet called A Different Story. Okay. That is a movie I didn't see in the 70s, but I've always been fascinated. That's what is Perry it? Ki- Perry King and not the actress with the with the scary eyes. Oh, Meg Foster? Meg Foster. Yeah, she's in the Osterman weekend. Oh, wow. Yes. So uh, Perry King is gay. Meg Foster is a lesbian. They meet and fall in love. Well, coming coming this August from Kino Lorber. So. Oh, wow. Well, according to uh, United Press International, it's the best romantic comedy pairing since Woody Allen met Annie Hall. How about that? Okay. Also uh, playing for the third Smash Week on June 28th was Burt Reynolds in The End, which is a movie I saw in theaters. I did not. Oh, I did see it in the theater. I snuck in with my friends. Was disappointed that it was rated R only for language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a real. It's he thinks he's dying. Yeah, it's one of those. He's going to commit suicide, oh. and Dom DeLuise is helping him. Oof. And we we had we 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 really yucked it up. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I kind of don't remember too much of it. Yeah, uh, Romy Schneider and a woman at her window at the 68th Street Playhouse. I don't know that, that one. Sounds sexy. I don't know it. Um, an unmarried woman with Jill Clayburgh. You know what I? You know what I, I? I guess I should have realized this, but something that's been hitting home as we watch these movies again. I mean, what a what an insular, tiny little town Hollywood was. These same three or four fuckers are in like every goddamn movie. <laughs> every movie. I mean, right. Burt Reynolds is in every fucking movie. James Caan is in every movie. Yeah. Jill Clayburgh's in every movie. Michael Murphy. It's crazy. Uh, anyway, an unmarried and then, woman. And then Burt Reynolds kept working, and the other ones just, like, stopped. Right. Uh, okay, also playing that week was Louis Malle's Pretty Baby. I have seen Pretty Baby. We talked about that on the other podcast, yeah. Um, Grease was still in theaters. I saw that ten times yeah. that summer. And it's got a great pull quote from Vincent Camby at the top of the ad. John Travolta is better than he was in Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> so Greece and Saturday Night Fever were playing at the same time. Yes, yeah, that was that was Travolta's. Year. All right, here's a movie that I haven't seen since the '70s that I guess we should watch. I'm sort of scared to do it, and I wonder if you've ever revisited it or have ever seen it. I think you had to have, although I don't know. Neil Simon's The Cheap Detective. Saw it? No, I never saw it. I saw a little <laughs> bit of it at SUNY Purchase the first weekend I was there. Yeah, I realized I was scared to go out and meet people, and I was like, so I started watching. I was like, this is not worth it, and I went out and I, <laughs> I met people. All right, well, we got to do yeah, we'll do detective. cheap detective. That's There's probably a, a Blu-ray of that at this point. Although, are you guys talking about doing like a Neil Simon crackpot episode? Maybe it's better for that. Maybe we no, we like like this like unmarried or, or rather the Neil Simon knockoffs is what we're into. So oh, we okay, should do the sure. Neil Simon if you saw it in All the seventies, right. but. So here's a movie. Oh, Claude Lelouch, Cat and Mouse. Heard of it? Don't. I haven't. Know. Yeah, I have to see that. I have to catch up to that at some point. Uh, Simone Signoret in Madame Rosa. No, it never saw it. All right, here's a movie we have to do. Just have to do, because I must have seen this twenty fucking times in yeah. the theaters in the seventies. Capricorn One. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Only saw it once on TV years later. Yeah. Um, I and was right just above reading the, about that somewhere, and uh, yeah. oh, it was in the Jay Hoberman uh, "Make My Day" book. That's what it was. So, in the ad above Capricorn One's ad is an ad for uh, Matilda. 
All right, yes. Which was playing at Radio City Music Hall. That's right, yes. Uh, Donna Floor and her two husbands was in theaters. I have seen that. The Last Waltz was in theaters. I've seen that. I saw that in the theater. Not, uh, but Damien, like, really? Ten years ago. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, at the Music uh, Box Rock Fest. Yeah, something like that. Damien Omen 2. That was 78. Oh, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, this is yeah. all 78. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, which doesn't say who directed it. Do you know who directed it? I don't it? offhand, no. Yeah, it's weird. They have all the producers in the screenplay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Directed by Don Taylor. Wow. Don Taylor. Uh, Convoy. Okay, there's an ad for Convoy. Oh, and and right next to the Convoy ad uh, is an ad for a movie we need to talk about because it's one of those great pictures I found. Uh, Jaws 2. Yeah, saw that in the theater, hated it. Never oh, saw yeah. it. Oh, no, did see it again once at a drive-in as the double feature with the Blues Brothers. Yeah, I don't remember. I remember, you know, I was at stage. I was such a, jaw, a Jaws head that I think yeah. I was unwilling to uh, think of it in anything other than like, oh, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I still feel that way about it. Yeah. Well, we but should rewatch. Yeah. We should. Well, here's the pull quote from Gene Shalit. Okay, everybody, out of the water and into the theater. Jaws 2 is a sequel you shouldn't skip. In fact, there are moments when your heart may skip. There are moments of terror. There are tension-relieving laughs. And there are first-rate performances, especially by Roy Scheider. There is suspense and action, credible people you care about, a movie filled with astonishment with John Williams' music, and a climax that is shocking. Now, of course, that's Gene Shalit being funny because at the end, the shark bites into like a electrical. He gets trailer. shocked yeah. by the helicopter. Yeah. But anyway, Whatever that's that's is, a yeah. long pull quote, man. They must they had really? nothing else to go for, so they, yeah. they did that. Now, that for a while was as a kid I, when I was obsessively asking adults, "What's the worst movie you ever saw?" I would say Jaws Two is mine. Yeah, I don't know if I ever got asked that question. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know what my answer would be. You know, I didn't see Jaws till a re-release, like in 77, I think, because when it came out in 75, I was six turning seven, I think. Oh, no, seven turning eight. I kept begging my mother, can I see it? Can I see it? And then she finally called my bluff. She got, she went, okay, you can see it. And then I got too scared. I was <laughs> like, no, 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 I'll wait. That's cool. My dad, that's one of the few movies I remember just me and my dad went to. He took me to see it, and man, yeah, that's something I'll never forget. When that head comes out of the whoo, yeah. Hole. <laughs> anyway, the the sunken boat there, yeah. All right, let's get back to convoy. Sorry, I took us on a little detour into the New York but that Times. That was good. It was uh, movie related. Yeah, it was yeah. good. So convoy. Um, so yeah, part of the you know growing out of the CB craze. Uh, we should just touch on a couple of other CB movies uh at the time yeah or outlaw trucker movies i made a list of those so okay good moonfire from 1970 never heard of it this is catch richard egan charles napier and sonny liston truckers <laughs> battle a nazi hiding in mexico <laughs> wow Ooh. yeah the tv movie vanishing point which i just saw uh which kind of blew but was kind of awesome also uh Truck Stop Women, which was one of the very first movies I rented. Moonrunners from 1975. Have you heard of this movie? It is the basis of the Dukes of Hazard, huh. narrated by uh, Waylon Jennings. I had never never knew about this till uh, 
I don't know, like in the early 2000s, I was going through a bootleg video site. Trucker's Woman, White Line Fever, which is a movie I liked. Uh, CB Hustlers, another sexy movie I've seen. Kansas City Trunking Company by Joe Gage, one of his hand-in-hand all-male adult films. <laughs> Breaker Breaker with uh, Chuck Norris. Citizens Band, also known as Handle with Care. The Jonathan, Jonathan Demme, yeah. Um, never saw any of these, by the way. Uh Except for uh, CB Hustlers and Truckers. Oh, no, I saw a bunch of them. Anyway, uh, The Great Smoky Roadblock. 1977, listen to this cast. Henry Fonda, Eileen Brennan, Austin Pendleton, Robert England, John Biner, and Susan Sarandon. Wow. (laughs) Was it titled that way to cash in on Smokey and the Bandit? I would have to think so. I mean, Smokey was a popular turn of phrase at that point. Yeah. Which for highway police with their Smokey the Bear hats. Yeah. Uh, High Ballin' with Jerry Reed. Flatbed Annie and Sweetie Pie, Lady Truckers, which was a TV movie. Huh. Uh, And then uh, Smokey Bites the Dust with Jimmy McNichol from 1981, which I attempted to watch. And it's it was a challenge to anyone with like a functioning (laughs) cell in their body. (laughs) Imagine 81. They put out a Smokey movie. (laughs) Roger Corman pickup. So, uh, all right, so let's get into the action here. Uh, Chris Christopherson is our hero. Rubber Duck, uh, he's coming off of uh, A Star is Born. And, um, you know, had. had and he's coming off of Semi Tough. With, with, yeah. Uh, and then, with, se- well, I think Semi Tough was uh, came out in November, December. Oh, Semi Tough so came he, out after this? After oh, this. Okay. He had that in the back pocket. Okay. I think that was a Christmas movie. Okay. Um, he was also in 76. I got to see this. I never heard of this. Vigilante Force, a Vietnam vet action movie. You ever heard of that? No. But came out the same time as The Star is Born. Um, he had worked with Peck and Paw previously in Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Right. And Al, uh, and then he was also uh, the lead in uh, the romantic lead in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. You know the so. movie of his that I've never seen that I rem- certainly remember playing, it seemed like forever, and hearing about all the time as a kid and being and, and thinking, well, this is too, I don't know what this is, but it sounds way too adult for me, is The Sailor Who Fell from Grace with the Sea. So I had a similar reaction. I was always afraid of it. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. The post is weird. That title is weird. I thought it was backwards. I thought it was, it should have been The Sail Who Fell from the Sea with Grace. Right, right. Get it? So one night on cable, a long time ago, I put on it. It's like, oh shit, Sailor, it was on. It was in the middle of it. It's a bunch of kids cutting, killing, and cutting up a cat. I was like, see you, Sailor. <laughs> so we shan't be visiting that one. Okay. All right. We should acknowledge also uh, Eugene Levy as SCTV security guard Gus Gustaverson. Which is one of the great jokes on that show. Yeah. Yes. Um, so he is driving, and an incredibly bizarre-looking Ally McGraw starts to sort of taunt and tease him from the road in a convertible. Now I want to stop you here because I, I need to go back to. I'm going to quote from the from the Pauline Kael review of Convoy at some point, but right now I need to jump into the Vincent Canby <laughs> review. Of Convoy, and Vincent Canby says the following about Allie McGraw. Um, 
Well, he says the following about both of them. He says, Chris Christopherson, who plays as a trucker whose CB radio handle is Rubber Duck, a fellow so laid back he seems horizontal even when walking upright. And Allie McGraw, who, for reasons that remain forever obscure, has had her hair clipped like Maria's in For Whom the Bell Tolls. Miss McGraw is supposed to be a classy society photographer, a woman of intelligence and realized sexuality. But the effect of the haircut is to make Mr. Christopherson's girlfriend look like an exceedingly pretty boy. <laughs> this may be this may well be one of Mr. Peckinpah's more knowing sexist gags. But because the movie is so muddled or nasty in every other way, I don't feel like trying to decipher the point. To transform a naturally beautiful woman into a figure of such androgyny seems at best short-sighted, at worst it's mean-spirited. Now, in retrospect, I think Camby is completely wrong in his interpretation, but also completely right in that she looks hideous. Yeah, in no, <laughs> he got very deep into motivations. I don't understand where he... Yeah. I, I will tell you exactly who she looks like. C. Mm-hmm. Thomas Howell in Soul Man. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh-huh. all you have to well, picture. That's the female yeah. lead of the movie is C. Thomas Howell and Soul Man. But what occurred to me, especially after watching Smoking the Bandit last night, where there's this gag where Sally Field talks about herself as a pro, and she's talking about being a professional dancer, but Burt Reynolds interprets her saying she's a pro as her saying she's a hooker. But in Convoy, it seems like the joke becomes reality because Ali McGraw resembles nothing so much as like a coked up hooker who stole a sports car on the way out of an all-nighter at Studio 54 and somehow made it to Arizona. Yeah. Right? I mean, she's supposed to be this photographer, but what the... F- she just... I don't understand her character at all. No, I mean, um, I, I, I guess, you know, it's a positive that it made me wonder about. I was like, did she just leave some kind of relationship? She took the car. She's got seems to have a lot of belongings with her. Yeah, but she's dressed in this sort of flashy mini dress, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she's got that. Heart. Yeah, she really just seems like she's coming off of a coke binge. So here's Allie McGraw uh, in an interview recently talking about Convoy. She says, I certainly did Convoy for the money. I mean, that was just really a frightening experience, but largely because, well, for many, many reasons. But again, incredibly talented people. But what the hell were we doing? I have no idea what we were doing, and it shows. And I didn't have any tricks to make it watchable. So my part is unwatchable. <laughs> wow. Allie McGraw. This is a woman who yeah. speaks honestly and accurately about her own work. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, they meet cute. Yeah. <laughs> on the highway. And then he's, he gets pulled over. He sends the cop on a wild goose chase. She speeds off. Uh, then he hooks up with <laughs> Bert Young as uh, calling himself Love Machine, but because he's hauling pigs, they call him Pigpen. And that sort of becomes yeah. interchangeable. And then Franklin Ajay as Spider Mike, who is certainly, you know, one of the, uh, an extremely likable character, somebody you could really root for. Yeah, and if you want to read one of the most awkward sort of amateur interviews of all time, go, over, go find yourself. Maybe we'll, we'll post, post this. It. Yeah, yeah. On, on the, there's, a, there's a convoy website that's made, an amateur convoy website made by a, a fan of the movie um, who loves the movie because his dad loved the movie, and that's sweet enough. But somehow he, he talked uh, Franklin Ajay into giving an interview. Which I'm assuming was I don't know either over email or maybe over the phone. <laughs> it was very I don't know stilted. what. It, yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, Franklin Ajay is giving him nothing. He's asking a bunch of dumb questions, and Franklin Ajay is like, I don't know what you're talking about. So we should address Bert Young here. 
because this is okay, some. Good. I was thinking this is some wild casting. Burt Young, we know best as Paulie and Rocky, and that's his persona. He's a, you know, a sawed-off yeah. Italian tough guy. Um, yeah. I saw that he had been in the Killer Elite with Peck and Pa. Now here's something. Yeah. Um, now neither one of us grew up read. I don't think you would have had any access to it either. Neither one of us grew up reading Roger Ebert. We both grew up right. watching Siskel and Just, Ebert on TV. Right. But it wasn't until, and I'm this is probably the case for you too. It wasn't until I moved out to the Midwest when I started being able to access in the early days of the internet, and also he was still writing. Uh, on a daily basis, I guess, for the Chicago Sun-Times. Was yes. Sun-Times? Yes. That I actually started reading him. And when I first started reading him, I hated his writing. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know if it was because I kept reading it in his voice, which was annoying to me, or I just, I wasn't used to it, and I didn't get it. And I've since come to appreciate his writing um, and, and appreciate his opinions. Um, I, I still find that he frequently makes sort of weird factual errors about the plots of movies or right. and in his review of the killer elite he somehow manages to confuse although they're both in the movie he completely confuses Burt Young and Gig Young um, oh. so he does this he does this whole paragraph about how good Burt Young is in this movie but he keeps calling him Gig Young right so anyway so yes he is in killer elite but but playing something much closer to the to typical Burt Young part. So I want to talk about two other films from 1978 that Burt Young was in, both of which he wrote the screenplays for. Wow. One is Uncle Joe Shannon, where he plays like a sensitive horn player who befriends a kid who's like like down on his luck and needs an uncle. So it's sort of like, you know, a, a, a the kid kind of thing. Played in theaters, never saw it. I did see the other movie. And this was on, they, they, CBS debuted this. It's a TV movie in the middle of the summer. It's called Daddy, <laughs> Daddy I Don't Like It Like This. <laughs> so he's married to Talia Shire. Of course. From Rock. Who, who just played his sister. Right, movie, just right? played his sister. Both nominated for Academy Awards. Yeah. And their son is Doug McKeown from On Golden Pond. So oh, wow. these two, you know, what Gilbert would call fucking guineas, have this blonde <laughs> Irish kid. And he's very sensitive and weak and, and like, you know, Bert never gives him a break. He wants to toughen him up. So Bert pays the local bully kids to just constantly harass and beat the shit out of Doug McKean. The kid gets so depressed. Oh, and he's like tortured by the nuns at school. He starts to hallucinate this little blonde orphan girl. And finally, his father's like, I'm going to teach you to box. So he puts the kid in the ring, and this older kid beats him to death at the end of the movie. <laughs> the whole time, they live in poverty. Talia Shire is chain-smoking and shoplifting meat so they have food. And uh, Now, you the, watched this at the time? I watched it that summer with my friends in Keensburg, New Jersey. And we, of course, thought it was funny because I was, I was <laughs> right. nine. Right. And and they were like twelve and thirteen year old degenerates. Wow. Wow. So we were laughing at this poor Doug McKeown getting you know literally killed. The last thing he sees is this girl. He has a vision. She reaches out his hand like, "Come, come, join me. You'll have peace with me." And then he goes to heaven, and then the movie's over. So John J. O'Connor in the New York Times reviewed, "Daddy, I don't like it like this." Sometimes the production is so bad, so obviously turns sour that it perversely demands its own share of attention. 
Daddy, I don't like it like this. Is that kind of production available to the Dauntless on CBS tonight at nine? Wow. And it says something that they put it on like in the middle of July. You know, two Oscar winners. And yeah. So. Did he, did Burt Young go on to write any more screenplays? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It might have been two and done for. Um, you know, something about Burt Young in this movie where he basically is, I mean, Burt Young is always kind of just doing Burt Young. Yeah. He's doing this Burt Young character with the cowboy hat on. I don't right. even think he's trying to do an, any kind of a Southern no. or accent. No, he might, he might go a little Midwestern, but that's it. Yeah. But something about this movie is that at some point, uh, Chris Christopherson has to leave everyone else behind. He needs to go on a mission by himself, which we'll get into. But he turns to Allie McGraw and he tells her to stick with Burt Young because he says to Allie McGraw, you're better at stringing words together. Which I guess might be true in this movie, but but you don't even know because Ali McGraw has only said like three words in the whole goddamn movie. Right. There's no evidence that she's good at stringing words together, actually. And then Burt Young goes on to prove them wrong by uttering the film's, like far and away, the film's most poetic line, which is he says, and this is apropos of nothing, he says, these lonely long highways sure grind the souls of us cowboys. Which is like, what are you, where did this come from? What is going on in this movie? Oh, boy. So, yeah, so they're pals, and then they get pulled over by Ernest Borgnine as Lyle Wallace, the evil, corrupt, redneck uh, sheriff. Yeah. and uh, Well, he cons them into to thinking that he's he, a, a, a fellow trucker. He's talking to them on the CD, yeah. telling them there's no Smokies around, drive as fast right. as you want, so they start a doing complete, that. A complete speed trap, bait and switch, and then shakes him down for money. And, you know, he breaks Spider Mike. He's got no money. They go to this diner. And, it's a glide-in. Yeah. It's called... Um, Oh, that's right. Something yeah. gliding. And I'm like trying to figure out what Glide. a gliding so is. So it's your, it's your typical, you know, rural highway truck stop. Yeah, it's a truck and, uh, stop. Yeah. You know, a bunch of shit kickers in there. And the Black Widow, that trucker uh, lady, is there. And uh, and then uh, Cassie Yates as Violet the Waitress, who's uh, Chris Christopherson's uh, on-the-road squeeze at that particular gliding. And... Uh, you know, they, they and, and Allie McGraw is there selling her belongings to the women in this place. And, yeah, I'm still baffled and, as to what what is Allie McGraw's arc in this movie. I don't understand. She's trying to start a new life. That's that was the impression I got. I got the impression she was running away from something and disappearing. You know, one problem I have with this movie is that whatever there's a barely any exposition. And it doesn't seem like right. that's even deliberate. It just seems like nobody even knew what the fuck they were right. doing. Yeah, yeah that's but, the cocaine. But whatever, but whatever exposition there is, is, is 99% of it is over the CB radio. So it's all right. like crunched up and static. You can't understand a word any of these fuckers are saying. So they're, and trucker lingo, yeah, too. Trucker yeah. lingo. In terms of just physically impossible to hear. Yeah. yeah. So uh, then Ernie Borgnine is the sheriff. He's, he's gliding into the gliding. Mm-hmm. And Spider Mike well, and he, Burt Young. He's heard them as the after they pay him off. He hears them sort of bad mouthing him and making fun of right. him uh, to each other on their CBs. And I think he right. decides to follow them. Right, and then right they they make it much worse. And this is where like you know so 
Spider Mike and Burt Young, they get on the loudspeaker, the intercom in the parking lot, and just talk about what a fat fuck he is and what a loser he is, and he can't get his heart, dick hard, and all kinds of really insulting, complete humiliation. They talk like, about him really getting like a this... sex change operation. And, and, oh, that's right. Ultimately leading to the sex change operation. Right. So ultimately, with a guy like that who they've just, you know, barely gotten by, you can't humiliate him to that and not expect what happens. So he comes in, he does his redneck shit, he arrests Franklin Ajay for nothing, uh, which leads to the first slow-motion brawl. Well, really the only slow-motion brawl. <laughs> oh, that's true, yeah. There's other slow-motion in the Apparently, movie. Apparently, just my impression. Well, there is some slow... There's, yeah, there's yeah. like slow-motion... This movie is the most uneasy mix of like the the um, the uh, signature Sam Peckinpah slow-motion violence yeah. as poetry thing. Combined with like this third rate sort of like comedy hijinks, like it right. makes no sense. The tone of this film is like, I don't, there's no reason for slow motion violence in the middle of this like stupid like drive in trucker movie. Um, right. But it does stand out, particularly, I thought, during this brawl, which is way too destructive. Well, absolutely. It's ridiculously destructive and, and all in slow motion, incredibly overdone. And apparently it took them a week to shoot this one scene. <laughs> yeah, well, that comes across. But <laughs> but this is this is exactly what we're talking about now. In the middle of this goddamn fight, they keep cutting back to this guy who's like the chef slash owner of the Glide-In Diner for these like terrible... This movie is filled with terribly unfunny one-liners. There's not like a single line of dialogue that's in any way funny in this movie. But this, his presence and the fact that they keep cutting from slow motion back to this idiot standing in the doorway of his kitchen saying stupid like, uh-oh, they're going to ruin, I just painted this joint, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's it was about as organic as, have you ever seen Skate Town USA? Yes, so I have many times. There's those Joey yes. Ross segments where they just sort of cut to yes. him doing his like fucking borscht yeah. belt shit at the you know at the yeah. at the takeout window of the of the concession yeah. stand. Um, it's exactly like that. It's like why the fuck right. are we suddenly listening to this idiot talk? I will say, did you see Skate Town USA in the seventies? No. Fuck me either. <laughs> I saw it at midnight about ten years ago and then bought the Blu-ray last year. Oh, is um, there now a Blu-ray? Oh, oh yeah. okay. Yeah, it's great. Because yeah. they, I thought yeah. they weren't able to get all the music rights, and so they... They oh, did okay. it. Okay. So, um, yeah, so they, they uh, cuff up all the cops, and then they leave, and then it begins the convoy is birthed. And uh, as Vincent Canby noted in the review, I did notice this, and perhaps this is just given the lens of 2020, the only trucker who really fucks up is Black Widow is the black woman trucker who overturns in the middle of a city yeah. street. And then she hops in with pack rat and white right. rat. Who, by the way, she's also wearing a Sam Peckinpah t-shirt for the entire movie. I could not understand what that t-shirt was. Thank you. So I was like, is that a... I was like, is that like a POW shirt? It's Sam Peckinpah, who's also in the movie for an extended amount of time. He's like the, you know, there's that reporter who's standing on the back of a pickup truck trying to interview all the brothers. Oh, my God. And so next to him is, I guess, the director of this news crew. And that's Sam Peckinpah, again, wearing that bandana around his head. Um, Yeah. And and, and seemingly holding on for dear life (laughs) to to like one of the sort of handlebars (laughs) on this thing. Yeah. so then the convoy is a very various action pieces. One fucking awesome stunt was the uh, car flying through the barn in slow motion, yeah. flipping in midair. It was like, that is completely great. And then the rest of it was there not There is exciting. one good sort of deliberately comedic 
kind of sight gag in this movie, and that's when Borgnine has finds himself handcuffed to the uh, stool in the in the oh, yeah. encounter, and he's like shoot, trying to shoot his way out of getting handcuffed into onto this uh, bar stool, and then the waitress walks over and says, "Hang on a second, just lifts up the seat cushion and <laughs> casually lifts yeah. up the the, yeah, seat, the seat element right. of the yeah. stool." So, um, the governor, Seymour Cassell, he uh, decides he wants to, you know, the, the, the public is on the side of the truckers in this one. I want to say that for me, and the it, only two, I can't say that there's any good performances in this movie, and it's because the script is so terrible. Like, even the good actors yeah. have nothing to do. But the, for me, the most committed and, and like, non-embarrassing performances are Borgnine. Um, right. Who again? I don't know. I don't know if the I don't know if the whole cast had seen Smokey and the Bandit when they made this movie, but it's such a weird. It's sort of like we don't have Jackie Gleason, so we're going to get Ernest Borgnine to do this thing. Here's the thing that I don't understand about this movie. This is the deepest mystery of this whole movie to me. How is it that Bo Hopkins, who was in every other goddamn Sam Peckinpah movie over the last <laughs> ten years leading up to this, isn't in this movie playing the Jerry Reed role uh, from Smokey and the Bandit? Those guys are like separated at birth, and it's like this movie needs fucking Bo Hopkins as a trucker with a basset hound, and then it'd be all set. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but but Borgnine and Seymour Cassell, who I guess is just never can never be bad in anything, is is perfectly fine. In right, this you're thing. always great. Yeah. But but his character kicks off this section of the movie where it suddenly becomes sort of like this, again, Michael Ritchie style sort of political social satire, you know, with all of a sudden yeah. it's like sort of trying to say something about government and how craven politicians are. But that's coming over an hour into a movie that up until then has been these incredibly unfunny sight gags and like the dumbest dirt jokes and, and basically nothing like an endless sort of car chase right. that that really they don't even bother i don't even under, i don't understand never mind i don't understand ali mcgraw's character in this movie i don't understand ernest borgnine in this movie he alternates being between being the biggest asshole of all time and then he has some scenes where he's sort of mildly empathetic like when he finally goes yeah, visit yeah. goes to visit Franklin Ajay in the in the prison he's very calm yeah. he sits down with him he tells him he's going to find out if he you know if he hears anything about his pregnant wife and this stuff and and then he's yeah. back to like having this uh, murderous vengeance towards uh, Chris Christopherson's right. character. And I don't even understand what that comes from. Is it just because Christopherson is the guy who knocked him out and locked him to the to the bar stool? Well, I read that in the novelization of the film, oh, hello. it's explained that they have they have history, okay. and it's bad. And I don't know what it is, but I would definitely read the novelization of Godfall. Yeah, but they certainly, neither one of them play that history in the, in the well, Christofferson no. is barely acting, you know. And, yeah. I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to sort of dismiss Christofferson as an actor, but that's not fair because he's done some good work. And especially last night I saw him semi-tough and I thought, oh, he's doing a really good job here. Yeah. I think he's great and Alice doesn't live here anymore. Yeah. And, not yeah. so much in That this. contains one of my favorite lines in any any uh, movie where Ellen Burstyn is just so smitten with how handsome he is and says, can I touch your beard? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I mean, we bet, and then that's so the governor gets involved and he sets up this sort of neutral camp for the truckers. They can, they can wash each other, which they do, <laughs> and get something to eat. And then yeah, Spider Mike hightails it out because his wife's about to have their baby, 
and they get word that he's been pulled over in Texas and the, the rednecks have kicked the shit out of him in a jail. And Chris Christopherson says, well, I, we gotta, I got to go ride to the rescue. And the rest of the convoy joins him. And en route to that jail, these guys cause so much destruction to small businesses. Yeah. Like, I, I remember one point, like, what the, f- like, why did you just destroy Ned's garden supply in little, small town Texas? Ned can't bounce back from that. He didn't hurt anybody. No, but. And uh, Gene Siskel had a funny line in his review. He said, this is the first trucker movie where I rooted for the cops over the good guys. Yeah. And I kind of felt that way. I was like, first off. You know, you got away from fucking Borgnine once, and then you you forced his hand. You know what you're up against with that kind of asshole. Right. And then the the incredible destruction of these these little little shops and 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 scenic spots in this Texas town. And then they do they destroy the gym. They spring Spider Mike, and uh, well, you know, then the National Guard is called in. Yeah, and, and I also don't understand now. The whole time Christopherson's lugging around this gigantic tanker full of chemical explosives, right? Yeah, but yes. why? He's no longer on the job. He's not. He's not looking to deliver that shit. He's well, looking I, to escape to Mexico. Why didn't he un unhitch that fucking thing halfway through the movie and then just drive in his dumb cab? I'm gonna say I think there's logic in that because at one point he stops them from shooting at him because he's loaded to go. Yes, so but after that, insurance. sure. But then after that, like you know, especially at the end, Borgnine says, "If you drive across this bridge, I'm gonna blow the blow you up." Yeah. Which, you know, which he does. And then Borgnine has a mounted machine gun like <laughs> yes, Warren Oates yeah. at the end of The yeah. Wild Bunch. Right. He's been handed he he's been homage. handed the keys to a tank with full military-grade weaponry. <laughs> he, you know, there's like the army is there, but they're saying, hey, okay, bumfuck sheriff or whoever yeah. you are, highway patrolman from three states over, go yeah, for it. Yeah, three states yeah. over. That's the other thing. He's in helicopters. He's yeah. just going everywhere. Yeah. And yeah, so they blow up the rubber duck's truck, and he goes into the water, and then uh, the governor continues to try to cash in. He has a big trucker funeral for Chris Christopherson, and that's when we see that Chris is in disguise with the long-haired friends of Jesus from the song. Now, I'll lay on you. Can you name the Red Cross song that mentions the 11 long-haired friends of Jesus in our Star Trek's microbus? Oh, wow. Um, it's it's a big one. It's it's a it's a, is a it, cornerstone. Is it that Genie George Harrison? Same album, but oh. no, erotica. Oh, the actual song. Long haired friends of Jesus right. in a chartreuse microbus. Now, do you know who plays that that clan of uh, Jesus freaks? I do not. That was Christopherson's touring band that year. Oh, wow! Those are all the members of his band. Fabulous. They do a good job. Now, I want to say, yeah, they do a really nice job. But I want to say that the other than Borgnine and Cassell, who are professionals in this movie, maybe the best performance, and again, not a good performance, but at least watchable, is this dude, Whitey Hughes, who's a stuntman. He's the sort of shorter guy who they meet up with in the diner. He's playing pool at first, and then he winds up having all the back and forth with Black Widow after she loses her truck due to her bad driving he's pa- skills. He's Pack Rat or White Rat. Yeah, Pat, one, one of those guys. He's good. 
he reminds he sort of just has a sort of natural no nonsense presence and and it reminded me of another guy who's a couple movies of his I watched recently for Cinematheque which is uh, Richard Farnsworth another guy who spent oh, most sure. of his career yeah. as a yeah, stuntman yeah. and then suddenly became like a lead now not Whitey Hughes did not become a leading man he's nowhere near Richard Farnsworth but he's all right but he's also involved with a very typical sample of what passes for like a one liner in this movie Black Widow says there's all that they're, they're driving through all these um, dust billowing dust because they're I don't know what the fuck they're doing. They're trying to escape the cops by like having a dust storm. And so she realizes all this dust coming to the cabin. She says, will you uh, will you roll up that window, man? And he turns to her and he goes, the window's broke. And like that's then that's the end of the scene. <laughs> like that was some kind of like clever repartee that they wanted us to make sure we saw. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> so, Convoy. I'd still say it's worth a watch on uh, Amazon oh, sure. Prime. While you're, well, you know, if you're still locked up in quarantine. Hey, here's the thing. Right after that, right after yeah. that, uh, that dust-up thing, uh, Christopherson and Ali McGraw are trying to figure out what they're going to do. And Christopherson comes up with a plan, and he says this plan. And I've watched this scene now four times. I had to rewind it to, like, hear the dialogue. I even turned on closed captions to make sure I was getting it right. He says, here's the plan. When we get to the pass, we're going to put on our fish costumes, pass out the Vaseline, and an extra ration of rum for the men. <laughs> and she looks at him like, okay, what? what is he talking about? What is that plan? That, that seemed like an in-joke. It seemed like some, was that like a pirate thing? Like about like fucking fish on, on your boat or something? Okay. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, but it it definitely yeah. sticks out and is memorable. And uh, it's crazy talk. That's all. It's cocaine crazy yeah. talk. I wish you'd say C. W. McCall uh, does serve as a Greek chorus throughout the uh, movie, uh, doing variations on the original Convoy song, updated to describe the action with the occasional like um, titles popping up on the screen yeah. like he says Arizona and as you see Arizona yeah, it's his Flagstaff screen. Arizona yeah. 1 p.m. <laughs> should also note that after Convoy hit number 1 he released a sequel song the following year later oh. Rubber Duck goes round around the world with Rubber Duck oh boy oh boy which i did listen to and the joke of it was it was like a, a british trucker or a german trucker so it was just like funny dialect oh. cb lingo I thought it was like Rubber Duck turns into a hooker and, and does goes round like the world. like Billy Joe, like going to Billy <laughs> yeah, Joe. Yeah, he does round the, the world. world, 50 bucks <laughs> around the world. Um, uh, there's a great clip of C.W. McCall on the Mike Douglas show performing Convoy that we'll have wow. to post on social media. Yeah, that's and he, for sure. And he does the verses like while he's holding a CB radio mic wow. in his hand. Yeah, it's unbelievable. That's so like like Gibby Tronics and the butthole surfers <laughs> destroying yes. his voice. Yeah. So, uh, well, this is a pleasure. Anything else to say about? Uh, <laughs> no, thank you, thank you Peck for giving it. Thank you for uh, for suggesting this movie. It, it really sent me down this Peck and Paw rabbit hole. All those movies. I have to say, I'm a real basic bitch with Peck and Paw. Uh, my first one was The Wild Bunch, which perhaps coincidentally was the first movie I ever saw on video. Mm-hmm. I believe it must have been on Betamax. Uh, a friend of my father's who lived in the city had it. Like one of his army buddies, and uh, they were like really talking it up to me. Like, you're not gonna believe how awesome this is, and I, I did love it. Mm. I, you know, I was 12, I think. I couldn't believe my eyes. 
and uh, and then the getaway I really liked, and then Straw Dogs. I wonder if you saw Straw Dogs when I did on the Channel Five Movie Club. Yeah, I think so. That is something completely forgotten. Is the Channel Five Movie Club, which is also the first place I saw Friday the Thirteenth, wow. uncut. Do you remember that no. historic occasion? No. So Channel Five WNEW in New York, the independent station. They had on Saturday nights at 11 o'clock, sort of as competition to SNL, uh, viewers could write in and request a movie, and if they selected your letter, you would host the movie. And somehow, this was the era, so this was not, this was right around the time of the Deer Hunter airing uncut, but that was like a national syndication on election night. See, I, w- I was busy on WPIX going, picks, picks, picks. That was the, <laughs> that was the stuff I was into. So I'm like, well, Friday the 13th, I wasn't, I'm not allowed to see it. I'm going to watch it yeah. now. This guy comes on. He's trying to do a scary voice. He's like, are you ready to watch Uncut Friday the 13th? And then the R-rated logo popped up in front of it. And uh, it was all the talk of school. And then they showed it again the following Wednesday in primetime, but it was cut. Uh, so. Wow. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the Channel 5, for all the stuff everybody else remembers, that one is really forgotten. Well, I, you know, t- talking again about movies that my parents were not into me seeing, uh, The Getaway premiered in primetime um, on CBS or NBC or something, and I remember right. really wanting to watch it, and my dad was watching it, but he sort of sent me out of the room. He's like, no, 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 this isn't for you. Um, but that's a good, that's a legitimately good movie. That's a really good movie. I rented that after seeing the uh, Alec Baldwin, Kim mm. Basinger getaway in 1994. Yeah. What's that guy's name? Is it Al Letary, uh, who's in The Godfather and is also... That sounds right. I can't fantastic. think of him. He's yeah. fantastic. He and Sally Struthers yeah. uh, in, in in The Getaway. Sally Struthers is a real star is born performance yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Good movie. So what are we talking about next week? You know... You know, uh, I don't know. I do have a list of movies that have come up in my head over the last... I feel like we should do one more by ourselves before we start dragging in special guests. So we do the, do I the agree. first five yeah. and then start letting people into yeah. our paradise. I would say let's dip back down into the early end of the decade if you have something there. Um, well, I do. Um, here's a movie that I watched... Every year, because it was, and I can't, I have to look it up. I can't remember if it was, they would show this on New Year's Eve or Thanksgiving, but I, I must have watched it like every year of the 70s. Um, What's Up, Doc? The Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, I just watched it. Yes, you, it, okay, you're on. Cool. It's on. It's on the um, Criterion channel right now. Oh, great. All right. Just watched it. A pleasure to rewatch again before great, this. Great. Yeah. That um, was, they showed, that was like an ABC Sunday night movie, like, Stop everything you're doing. That was like an event yes. film. But right, do you remember? Yeah, we'll was that. it New Year, Was it New Year's Eve or was I it? Don't th- know. I feel like it was tied to a holiday. I have to look that up. Yeah, I don't know. So all right, I think. Um, yeah. So anyway, we got a bunch more, but I want to mention just briefly a double feature that I realized we have to do, and it's because yeah. one of them came up on your most recent episode of Crackpot, um, and that's because the the for my bar mitzvah, <laughs> 1979. <laughs> Uh, we had the reception at my house uh, instead of having the it board at the reception house. hall. Yes. The boardwalk house. But I didn't want to have a bar mitzvah and I didn't want to have a party. And one of the ways I agreed to even go through this nightmare was if the following could take place. If at the party I could invite some friends over 
and have them hang out with me in my room. And if we were allowed to rent, and this is pre VHS, uh, rent 16 millimeter films wow. and a projector and watch them. So my parents got this catalog of like films that you could rent for not too right. much money on 16 millimeter. And I poured over this thing for weeks and picked the following two movies, which we then attempted to watch for my bar mitzvah at the party. You ready? Please. Dollars, starring Goldie Hawn and Warren Beatty. Right. And and Casino Royale, the the, the James Bond. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I swear to God, we never made it past real one of Casino Royale. No, I, no, I've, as I said, yeah, no, I've never yeah. made it through. No, I don't think anyone's ever watched that movie yeah. in its entirety. Well, Dollars, as I recall, is a good movie. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I think I yeah. watched that twice over the weekend while I had the yeah. projector. All right, well, Dollars will definitely put in the docket. All right, but for good. next week, we're going to go for What's Up, Doc. Excellent. Thank you, what man. was that, 72, 73? Uh, I don't know. That sounds right. I was okay. going to guess 71 based on oh, nothing. But maybe. Yeah. So. All right, my friend. All right. 70 movies we saw in the 70s. Yeah, and, and next, and, and we'll, we'll, try to, we'll try to keep it shorter next week and have time to talk about all our viewer mail and <laughs> I don't think we have Somebody any questions. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, oh. I will say that Jim Healy sent us proof of what the name of that um Honey I Shrunk the Kids attraction. Yeah. Honey I yes. Shrunk the Audience is the name That's of right. the That's right. Yes, the Disneyland <laughs> attraction. Yes. Thank and we you, briefly Jim. bonded over Captain EO. Thank you Ombudsman. Yes. All right. Well, next week. All right. Till Bye then. everybody. Bye-bye.